0: Taking back control so that you can start living the life you choose and not the one chosen by your fears. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 84. If you are struggling with OCD and anxiety then you can get a free session with me. All you need to do to get that is to head over to my website www.robertjamescoaching.com and there you can send me a message and we can arrange the free session. There's also my blog there and some other resources as well. Today I interview the amazing Jenna Overbell. Jenna is a licensed professional counsellor with over 10 years of experience working with people who have OCD. She's spoken at several international conferences and has been featured in several peer-reviewed literature articles on OCD, ERP and related topics In addition to her professional experience um, she also has learned experience with OCD after developing it postpartum with her now three-year-old son She loves seeing the transformations that people can have as a result of going through an evidence-based practice like ERP It's a very wide-ranging conversation today I really think you're going to enjoy it Um, If you would like to to find out more about Jenna You can follow her on Instagram at jenna.overbal She also has a podcast uh, called All the Hard Things which you can find on all major platforms And as you will find out as you listen to the podcast Jenna has a message for everyone And I'll include all the information about that and the links in the show notes So many thanks guys I really hope you enjoy If you have any questions, as always, please let me know and let's go. Hi, Jenna, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here.
0: It's great to have you on. So to start off with, can you just tell us um, a little bit about yourself, please?
1: Sure, yeah. So I am a full time therapist here um, over in Wisconsin in the United States. And I've been a therapist working with people who have OCD and anxiety for the past probably 10 or 12 years. Um, I really fell in love with this population because I've always been a really anxious kid myself. I remember when I was little, just getting nauseous before school and wanting to not go. Um, But I always got really competitive with my anxiety and I never wanted it to win me win me over or um, disrupt what it was that I wanted to do. So when I went to college, I found out about exposure and response prevention and the treatment for OCD and I just loved it so you know, right from the get go, I was off to the races trying to learn as much as I could about OCD and about helping this population. And I just made that my complete focus. So since then I've worked at Johns Hopkins hospital with kids and adolescents who have OCD. I worked at Rogers Memorial hospital in the residential OCD and anxiety recovery center, which is where you kind of go and you just pack your bags for you know forty-five to sixty days and you live there um, and get full-on twenty-four-seven support for OCD. Um, so that was a really great experience, just working with people who've been so debilitated by OCD and just being able to be part of their experience. Um, and now I work at NoCD, which is a mobile teletherapy platform that offers teletherapy services to people who have OCD. Um, I have always you know, just been a therapist who works with OCD. But when I had my son about three and a half years ago, I also experienced postpartum OCD myself, got a diagnosis, went to treatment. Um, So between the professional background and the now personal lived experience, I feel like I'm just really wanting to get the word out there, help educate some people. And I think what we do with podcasts and our online community, it's re- just really special. So here I am.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. That's great. So um, what what is it about ERP that you think, um, you know, because obviously ERP is a very successful treatment for, for OCD, it has a lot of research to back it up and, you know, it really does work. Why is that, do you think? Why is ERP so successful? Whereas, you know, for for other mental health issues, a lot of the treatments that are available are not as successful as ERP.
1: Right. So you're exactly right. So exposure and response prevention is demonstrated by research to be the most effective treatment for OCD. And I would argue other anxiety disorders, too. it's actually more effective for OCD and anxiety than any other treatment for any other disorder, which is pretty fantastic, which is pretty incredible when you think about it and all the issues that we can deal with, um, all the kind of disorders and dysfunctional, um, you know, mood disorders and whatnot that are out there that ERP is so successful. Um, and there are a lot of different theories as to why ERP is so successful. What's so special about ERP? And, you know, one of those theories is that there are just some chemicals in our brains that kind of need readjusting and that by reintroducing ourselves to these new and scary experiences, we kind of adjust that. Um, I don't like that theory as much. I really like the other two theories instead, one of which is the habituation model, the second or the third of which is inhibitory learning. So the first model that kind of explains ERP is the habituation theory or habituation model. and that's been around forever. That um, really is what has the wealth of knowledge and you know expertise and research behind it. So habituation is something that everyone does. Earthworms habituate. so it's just a physiological process habituation just means that you get used to something. And so habituation, we all do this when we jump into a pool and it's really cold at first, but eventually you kind of stay in the pool and you get used to it. It's just this bodily process of if something isn't, if something doesn't stay new and novel, your brain kind of tunes it out as being threatening or necessary to pay attention to. Um, And so you just get used to it. The same way that I don't know if you've ever like gotten a new candle and it smells really good at first, a couple of days later, you don't smell it anymore. You have habituated to it. You've gotten used to it. And so the same thing is happening with these anxiety responses. When you go and you, you know, expose yourself to something that's challenging, we experience these intrusive thoughts or these worries or these uncertainties. We start to have this misinterpretation of those things, right? And that causes us a lot of anxiety. Now, where it goes haywire and where it goes and kind of derails is where individuals, they don't want that anxiety, they interpret that anxiety as being threatening, and so they engage in these compulsions or these safety behaviors, and they fail to habituate. So they they essentially get out of the water. So they never allow themselves the ability to get used to the temperature, to get used to the water and have fun in the pool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so that's kind of what happens when you when you avoid or ritualize or do anything like that. So that's the habituation model. That basically states that as you continue to do anxiety provoking things you get used to it. Learning the inhibitory learning model I don't think is discrepant with the habituation model but it is a separate kind of theory that basically just means that as you do these anxiety provoking things through exposures you learn new things and you basically replace old learning with new learning. So what you thought was threatening, now you learn isn't actually as threatening. It's not as catastrophic as you thought. It's not as likely to happen as you thought. And even if it does happen, you learn that you can cope with it. You learn that you can tolerate it. So those two things together, I think, are exactly the experience, like one-on-one that I see with people and that I've gone through myself. ERP works because you get used to the experience of being anxiety. You start to learn that it's uncomfortable and that it's not dangerous, and you also learn that your catastrophic events isn't as probable or as disastrous as you thought that it was.
0: Hmm. How would you, if if someone's really struggling with, um, you know, starting ERP, because you know, obviously it's difficult. You have to, you know, you have to really motivate yourself to to face those fears. And, you know, in, in one regard, people have the most motivation in the world because they're struggling with OCD, which we know can be, you know, absolute hell. And so they do have a lot of motivation, but at the same time, the fears can be so intense, so vivid, you know, the uh, the obsessions can be very difficult to to deal with. In those circumstances, how would you, you know, gently encourage someone to to kind of, you know, start getting into the ERP?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And first of all, I would honor that person and I would just validate how common and normal it is. This approach seems totally counterintuitive to everything that they know to be true and everything that they've been doing to protect themselves. So it totally seems backwards until you listen to information like this and you kind of understand why it works and why it's necessary. Um, So I get it. And it happens all the time. And OCD is one of those things that as you get closer to something that's going to make you feel good, OCD is going to come in and make you doubt that OCD is going to make you doubt the process, going to make you doubt that you have OCD, maybe make you doubt your therapist. And that's called the backdoor spike. The OCD just kind of tends to sabotage your attempt at treatment. So you can recognize that doubt for what it is. Um, So, you know, I want to honor that, validate that. The second thing that I would say is that good exposure and response prevention and a good therapist will meet you where you're at. So I think that a lot of great change and exposure work can come from really small changes at first. So, you know, for example, if we're using a zero to 10 scale, a subjective unit of distress scale with zero being not anxiety provoking at all, and 10 being the most anxiety provoking thing I could possibly imagine, of course, you're going to think that therapy is all your tens, right? It's all gonna be nines and tens, but that's just not true. Um, That is a technique called flooding, um, and that's out there and you may read about it. And of course that might happen by accident, life happens, but a good ERP therapist, we know that slow and steady wins the race. We try to do things that we call are challenging but manageable. And that's if you're using a zero to 10 scale, more so in the three or four range, so these are things that you probably could do, but it's a little bit scary and that's okay. Um, but they're not too intense. An- another, you know, element of a good ERP therapist or ERP therapy is that that therapist is going to be doing at least the first couple of exposures with you to kind of build your confidence, make sure that there aren't any difficulties that need um to be kind of ironed out. And then my last like really big piece of advice for people who are struggling to kind of get motivated or take that step is exposure therapy is gonna be anxiety provoking and it's gonna be difficult and scary it's also really scary to live with the fears and the anxiety that OCD gives you on a day-to-day basis. right? So I think of it two ways. I think of either way, if you go down the ERP route, it's gonna be anxiety provoking and scary. If you continue down the route of OCD, the way that you've been living, that's gonna be scary too. At least with ERP though, you're getting the best, most effective treatment and you're not going to always be that anxious. Your world is going to get bigger. You're going to feel braver and stronger if you continue to go down the OCD path, right? Like that's going to be scary and your world is going to continue to get smaller and smaller and smaller. So yes, going to be anxiety provoking. We know that right off the bat, but you will be supported. It will be manageable and it won't always be that hard.
0: Yeah. No, you're absolutely you're right. I, I completely agree. And um, you know, it's so much better to to you know be getting on and doing something and really feel like you're you're moving towards dealing with the OCD in a more effective way than just struggling with with the anxiety and you know, without without a plan for how to manage that better. So mm-hmm. yeah, definitely a hundred percent agree with that. And um would you mind giving us an example of some exposure kind of works for, say, I don't know, if someone came to you with, say, a, um, health anxiety or a health focused OCD? You know, what, what would sure. be typical kind of exposures that you might do with people in that regard?
1: Sure. And it's going to be different for everyone, right? OCD can latch on to anything. So whether it's relationship doubt or sexual orientation doubt, harm intrusive thoughts, sexual intrusive thoughts, even if you feel like you have OCD, but it doesn't fit these characteristic molds that are out there or that you see online that could still be OCD. So OCD can latch onto anything. And so you'll have to you know, just talk to your therapist about what your specified triggers are and they'll work with you to collaborate on an idea list of kind of what your exposures would be. But let's say that someone was struggling like what you said and they were really having a hard time with health anxiety. Let's say that they had a really difficult time anytime they had a headache. They have the trigger of a headache. They then kind of subsequently feel the need to go Googling online and researching, what does this headache mean? Um, when to go to doctor for headache. Um, they're maybe doing some other checking behaviors, checking their temperature, um, seeking reassurance from loved ones. Um, maybe they are you know, doing other avoidance tactics, maybe avoiding certain types of food or whatever. Maybe they just stay in bed because they wanna isolate and avoid things. An exposure for that would be to do something that might actually evoke a little bit of a headache. So maybe it would be looking at bright lights for 30 seconds. It might be um, tensing up all of your muscles for 30 seconds. We call those interoceptives. They're kind of like body exposures. Um, What you could also do might be, depending on your level of discomfort with these things, is even just like writing writing certain trigger words or um, like aneurysm blood clot, cancer. Um, sometimes even those like really basic words might be super triggering to someone. Um, maybe reading articles about someone who had, you know, uh, they were just, they had a random headache one day, but then all of a sudden they ended up having something really significantly wrong with them and they died unexpectedly. Um, mm-hmm. if someone was struggling with harm intrusive thoughts with their baby, um, A good exposure might be to cook with a sharp knife while your baby is in the same room. Might be to hold your baby going down the stairs. But the important part here is not just the exposures. You also have to make sure that you're staying consistent and implementing response prevention. So you can't, you know, evoke a headache and then go to the doctor to ask why you have a headache, (laughs) right? You can't...
0: it's just ocd. Yeah.
1: Exactly. You're just getting sicker, right? You're just like yeah. poking the bear and not actually, you know, doing anything about it. So, yeah. so yeah, you definitely need the exposure piece and the response prevention piece. Hmm.
0: Okay. And one more one more question about ERP. Um, you know, obviously it, it is fantastic. It really does work. It's uh, you know, it's a brilliant approach. Um, but in in my experience, it, it's very good to kind of scaffold the OCD to um sorry the ERP to to support it uh with with other techniques as well um how can we do that what can we what what else can we bring to the table you know that will help to implement the the ERP that will give us the motivation that will perhaps make it a little bit easier for us to do and for it to have a lasting you know difference to to the behavior
1: yeah absolutely so three things come to mind really quickly one is taking some tools from motivational interviewing Two would be behavioral activation, which is more so the evidence-based practice for depression. And then three is acceptance and commitment therapy. Mm. Um, I would even add a fourth one, which is, you know, taking some things from dialectical behavioral therapy, which is DBT. So I'll just run through really quickly. And none of these are evidence-based practices in and of themselves for OCD. But I do agree with you that they are good complements. People need a little bit of spice. Sometimes they just need something a little bit different. Different in addition to ERP. But if you're doing, say, behavioral activation and you're not doing an element of ERP for OCD, then it's not really going to be helpful. So you always need the meat and potatoes of the, o- of the ERP. But um, one way that I think behavioral activation can be helpful, so behavioral activation is simply identifying routine activities that you've reduced or stopped identifying enjoyable activities or valued activities that you've reduced or stopped doing. And regardless of whether that's depression or because of anxiety and OCD, we've all reduced or stopped doing routine activities, enjoyable activities, and valued activities. So whether that's brushing our teeth, showering, paying the bills, reading, walking our dog, exercising, engaging in hobbies, you know, writing out a list of all the things that you used to do that you've reduced or stopped doing, I think that can be a totally amazing complement to exposure and response prevention, because it's one thing to just like reduce the noise of OCD in your head. But if you're not complementing that by engaging in your valued activities, I find that people get really bored and don't really kind of know what they're in it for. So it's really important as you're working on ERP to be engaging in your valued activities more and to be doing more of your routine activities that you've reduced or stopped doing. So that's behavioral activation. Right. Um, another one, what was that? Go ahead.
0: No, no, I, I completely agree. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it, it's ERP is amazing, but it, on its own, if you're just doing the ERP and you acclimatize to, you know, a particular fear and obsession, but you're not getting busy in your life, you're not getting out there and, and doing those things that you were doing before, then unfortunately, I think it's quite likely that another OCD will just pop up, another theme might just pop up and take its place. And so, I 100%. Think, yeah, it's essential that we're also looking at that side of things as well.
1: Mm -hmm. And that leads us when we talk about values, that's also really similar to acceptance and commitment therapy, where you identify your values, you make sure that your values are making your decisions versus your fears. Um, Acceptance and commitment therapy also teaches a skill called diffusion, where you can have a thought and that thought doesn't necessarily actually have to mean anything, it can just be a thought. And so I think that's really important for people with OCD to know Um, motivational interviewing tactics and questioning yourself or a loved one would be really helpful. Like, where am I now? Where do I want to be? What do I need to do to kind of get there? Even just some basic questioning and kind of thinking of of motivational questions in that regard can maybe be helpful. And then the last one that I think can be super helpful and complementary to ERP is um, some skills taken from DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy. So things like opposite action. Opposite right. action is pretty similar to what we want people to do for their anxiety, right? Like if you want to wash your hands, do the opposite action and get as far away from the bathroom as you possibly can, right? <laughs> if you want to isolate yeah. in your room, do the opposite of that and try to get out of your room and go and be around people. Yeah. Um, mindfulness is also a really great DBT skill that I think can be helpful as long as it's not used as a distraction. Um so yeah, I think that these are all really complementary of ERP, and when used in the right way, can be totally transformational for someone.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, that's that's you know really great. You've given us a, a fantastic overview of all of that stuff. So thanks a lot um, for that. Would you would you mind telling us? You mentioned that you know obviously you had your your uh, baby you know three years ago, and um, you mentioned that you had you know, you struggled with some some OCD yourself, um, you know, mm-hmm. after that, would you would you mind sharing a, a little bit about that, please?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I, again, went into motherhood thinking, yeah, I know that postpartum OCD and anxiety can happen. But I know everything there is to know about OCD and anxiety. So I'm kind of free from it, I would never give in to any safety seeking behavior, I know exactly what to do. So I went into motherhood completely naive, completely ignorant. I had no idea how much that life transition of having a baby could affect you. I had no idea how the hormones and just the general life stressor and this new identity could shift a person completely. And so I remember my first intrusive thought was a couple of days after I brought him home from the hospital and I had to put socks on him. And I remember I had the thought of what if you snap his ankles and I remember immediately dropping the sock and being like, I can't do this. And and for the next year, I made my husband put socks on my child. Um, because as you know, obviously you resist, you avoid it once, you've made it scarier for next time. And it just yeah. got scarier and scarier and scarier. And soon it wasn't just socks, it was his arms. If I break what if I break his arms when I'm putting his shirt on. Um, and then I got so sleep deprived as most new parents do. I started to have intrusive thoughts of what if I was so sleep deprived and I harmed him and I don't remember. And so I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would have this uncertainty or this worry, like, but I'm not 100% sure that I didn't hurt him or slam his head against the wall. So I would check him for, for what seemed like hours. I would just look at his head and look at his head again and, you know, undress him and make sure that he didn't have like this big bludgeoned spot on his body, just in case I was so sleep deprived that I didn't remember and I knew that this was absolutely crazy. I knew that this was wild and that was really my first look into what OCD felt like. Mm. As a clinician, I was always like, you just have to resist. You just have to resist no matter what. You just have to resist your compulsions. And I would get admittedly frustrated sometimes because I didn't relate to that feeling. And so I remember like begging God and trying to negotiate with God one night. I will never be hard on any of my clients ever again. Like I understand what this feels like now. I will never judge them again because I remember feeling crazy. I remember feeling, I know that I could not have hurt him. I know that I, I checked him 15 times, but I feel like I still need to check one more time. Um, and then it got so bad. I felt like I was gonna leave him on, either on purpose or an accident at the grocery store or anywhere we went. And so I would get really doubtful about like, did I actually put him in the back seat? And I would have to like check in my rearview mirror Eventually that wasn't enough. I had to like reach back and touch him. Eventually that wasn't enough. I had to actually, I started to pull over on the side of the road and like take him out of his car seat so that I could feel the weight of his body Mm. and be 100% sure that he was in the car seat and that I didn't leave him. And again, this whole time I knew it was crazy. I felt like I was losing my mind, but it felt like the stakes were too high. Like I'm going to do this no matter how crazy it is because I, it's not worth me hurting him. It's not worth me leaving him. So long story short, I eventually got to the point, probably a year and a half in where I found my own ERP therapist. It was hard for me to find one because I am an ERP therapist. I was like, how do I go? Where am I going to go? Am I going to go to my own therapy practice? Where yeah. am I supposed to yeah. go? Yeah. Um, this, this was before teletherapy. This was before COVID. This was, was before they were more accessible. I finally did find someone who I could go to and trust. And it was incredible. So I did exposures like having to put him in his car seat and I don't get to check in the rearview mirror. I don't get to pull over. Um, I had to obviously put socks on him and change him. To this day, I have to resist rituals like asking my husband when he's going to come home because that was one of my big rituals and safety seeking behaviors was wanting to know when he's coming home just in case something bad happens. Um, So to this day, it's three and a half years later and I still am not allowed to ask him when he comes home. Even this morning, I like really wanted to know, uh, try to make excuses. Like I need to know for dinner or I need to know for baseball practice. And it's like, no, I can't. I, I it's not good for my recovery to know that information. Yeah. And so it's really, truly, I feel, I feel recovered. I feel like I no longer meet diagnostic criteria for it. I feel like it's made me a better mom, a better therapist. Um, but I still have intrusive thoughts. The other day I was uh, changing the garbage in my bathrooms and my son was in his high chair minding his own business. I was totally in a great mood. Everything was great. And I just had this thought, what if you suffocate him with that plastic bag?
0: Yeah.
1: And I just kept going. I kept, I kept changing the plastic bag, kept on with my normally scheduled programming. So you're going to have intrusive thoughts and that's not an OCD phenomenon. That's a normal human experience.
0: Absolutely. What
1: you have to do with OCD and your long-term recovery is you have to make sure that you're not misinterpreting significance from those thoughts. And certainly that you're not responding to those thoughts in a way that demonstrates that you're threatened by them. So you just got to keep going and you just got to really truly commit to resisting your rituals and you can live a fully- fulfilled, satisfied, happy
0: life. And it's a really fascinating story for me because like clearly, you know, you're very educated lady in this area. Uh, you know, you, you have a very good intellectual understanding of, you know, of, of psychology in general anxiety, more specifically and, and OCD. Um, but even though that you had all of that understanding, you know, on, uh, you know, on one level, um, it shows uh, a, a really important thing, and and that is that on an emotional level, on that that kind of deeper level, we still struggle. It doesn't matter how much we might know about a problem, and that's why you know just kind of throwing money at books about OCD and things. Okay, that is useful because you learn about uh, you learn about the problem, you learn about what you're dealing with, and it's very helpful. But until you're you're willing to um, you know, experience that anxiety on an emotional level, and truly learn to move towards it and truly be able to, to see it and accept it, it's going to be hard to, to overcome it. And it doesn't matter how much of an understanding of it you have on on that intellectual level, it's on the emotional level that makes the difference.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I remember being there. I remember having that thought of, if this is how bad I'm struggling and I know what I should be doing, I actually know what these intrusive thoughts are. I have context for them. I know that I'm not necessarily a bad mom. I I, I know how the OCD cycle works. I cannot even fathom how people who have no concept of this whatsoever are making it through on a day-to-day basis. Like it, it, it blows my mind. Mm
0: -hmm. And so
1: that's why I launched into just education mode and advocacy mode. And I have a mom support group in my community, community that now has over 5,000 local members. And, you know, I, I, I think my goal would be for everyone to know what OCD is that it doesn't just come in the form of contamination and perfectionism, and those things can be debilitating, but there are other ways too that it can also be debilitating. And that, you know, it, no one is immune to it, right? No one is immune to it. It can attack anybody. If you have the best support system, the best financial situation, Um, the best background like I had all those things my life was good and it still rocked me really really hard and yeah it's just nasty it's nasty nasty but ERP is so effective and thank goodness for that
0: yeah absolutely absolutely you just mentioned um, their support groups and I know uh, before we kind of started the interview you wanted to mention something about that
1: Yeah. So especially, I mean, we're talking here about how OCD can be so isolating, right? And it's difficult to say these things, especially when they're more taboo. It's difficult when you feel like you're going crazy and you're the only one. And sometimes even if you're in therapy and especially if you're not having that support from another peer, just hearing other stories can be so transformational. And so what we offer at NoCD, in addition to therapy services, you don't even have to be getting therapy services through NoCD, we offer free support groups. So they're free, they're free if you're in therapy, they're free if you're not in therapy, there's no gimmick, I manage that whole entire program. Um, We're bringing on right now, um, actually 40 or 50 more therapists to do groups. And so we started out with five groups, by the end of the month, we'll have probably 50 or 60. So the goal is to offer them at numerous times throughout the day to accommodate everybody's schedule, to offer different types of groups. So like a young adult group, a parent and caregiver group, a mom group, a harm intrusive thought group, more managing OCD, just general groups. Um, And they're all led by an OCD therapist who is trained in OCD, who's trained in exposure and response prevention, but you're going to be able to go and hear and listen to and share your story um, as it relates to OCD. You'll be able to connect with others, build motivation, build support, um, and it's just a really great opportunity. Like I said, they're free, they're accessible to you. Even if you aren't in OCD therapy, there's no gimmick as far as that goes. All you need to do to, to access them is go to www.treatmyocd.com support groups. Or the easier way is to just download our free uh, Treat My OCD app or the free NoCD app on the marketplace. And so as soon as you download the free app, you'll have access to the groups um, or you can go to that link. So. It's just an incredible resource, and I urge everyone to take advantage of it, especially during the pandemic. Everything has been so isolating, and there's there's really great support out there. So just got to take advantage of it and find it.
0: Yeah, very true. That's great. And um, okay, so if you if you could only give one piece of advice for people who are struggling with OCD, uh, apart from obviously joining your support group, um, <laughs> what would what would that piece of advice be?
1: Oh my gosh, the therapist in me and the just person in me like has so much to say, but I would say that it's going to feel uncomfortable. It's going to feel irresponsible to not do these compulsions. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't or can't do it. That just means that that's how it goes. And it's going to feel irresponsible to not wash your hands or to put on your son's socks when you feel like you could very well snap his ankles that doesn't mean that you shouldn't go through with it and do that exposure. Um, you got to resist the rituals anyway, you have to resist the rituals. And if it's too hard for you to resist completely, try to find a way to reduce it. So maybe socks are too hard. Maybe you can start with a pair of pants first. Right. So just finding like a smaller way to kind of challenge yourself. Um, I think OCD is very black or white and it makes us feel like, Yep, that's no anxiety whatsoever, or 10 out of 10, that's way too hard. And so we fall into this trap of either ritualizing like crazy or we avoid and we don't do that thing because there's no way we could ever handle it. Think of all these anxiety provoking things as little experiments, right? Like, just like if we were trying to test the reaction of caffeine levels on a mouse, we would have different levels of caffeine levels to test that. You can have different levels for exposures, right? So, and so if If uh, driving with my son was difficult, maybe I start first by just driving around the block. Maybe then I go uh, two neighborhoods away. Maybe then I go three hours away without checking, right? So moral of the story is that there's always a way, there's always a way to kind of get your foot in the door. There's always some kind of middle ground or baby step that you can do to challenge yourself. Just be open to the possibilities and you have to, have to, have to resist your rituals. And ERP is the way to go. You can try other things. You can try medications. Medications can be helpful. But again, unless you have ERP, it's not going to be effective. Just find a find a therapist who's going to be knowledgeable about OCD and anxiety and about ERP. You can find that on our website, nocd.com. You can go to iocdf.org. Um, Got to find someone who does ERP. That's the most, most important thing for sure.
0: Yeah. Okay, fantastic, Janet. Thank you so much for your time. It's been uh, great talking to you and uh, many thanks for for coming on.
1: Yeah, thank you so much.
0: Please remember, if you are struggling with OCD and anxiety, you can get a free consultation uh, with me. All you need to do to get that is to head over to my website, www.robertjamescoaching.com and uh, send me a message and we, we can sort that out. And if you like, you can also follow me on Instagram, uh, at Robert James Coaching UK. Many thanks. And now, just a quick reminder of my disclaimer any information that you view on my website, Instagram page, Facebook group, or anywhere else online, or any information that you listen to on the podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for actual medical or mental health advice from a doctor psychologist or any other medical or mental health professional.